Hi, I'm Josh. I'm Ken. And I'm TJ. And this is Serious Film People, episode two of the 1963 series, where this week we've got some Cleopatra coming at you. I forgot it was the second episode of the series. I could have swore this was the first episode of the 1963 series. I completely forgot we watched America, America last week. See, there's another way in which this kind of feels like the eighth episode of the 1963 series. Um, Real talk, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've collectively watched like... How many hours of movies? So seven hours of movies yeah, so far. About, yeah, I think over so. Two episodes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and we're joined today by a very special guest, our first returning champion of the podcast. Yeah. My dear friend and a friend of the show, Ana Cristina Martinez. Welcome back, Cristina. Yay! Yay. <laughs> thank you, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be to be back. I I, I was so excited when I got TJ's text to 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 be back here. And that was weirdly serendipitous because I, I, no joke, was opening WhatsApp to text you, hey, you should be on the podcast again. And I had a text from you about 20 minutes earlier that was like, I'd like to be on your podcast again. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty wild. So um, I'll have everyone know she did pick uh, Cleopatra to be the episode to be on. So don't think that I'm that bad of a friend. Yeah. Uh, there were there were options. Uh, there were options. And I, shoot my, and I shot myself in the foot. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you, you laid it out there from the start because TJ, I was going to ask, did you did you give her an opportunity or an out, or did you just like you know what I think we're go- if I'm going to sit through this, how badly do you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. No, I mean, yeah. I mean the reason the reason I chose uh, Cleopatra was because I, I mean it's an iconic film. It's uh, something I hadn't uh, seen I, I I hadn't seen before, and you know it's. You think of, uh, someone says Cleopatra, even if it's out of context, you think Elizabeth Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, like, this is a perfect excuse to watch this film. And then it's four hours. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I need to really plan this. Really, Which really I, I did this. also warn. I did also you warn. You did. You did. You did. So, I think for Josh, it was about two hours because you watched it on two times speed. <laughs> That's not... You need to let this go. I did this, I did this once. I did this once. And again, it's because I was watching a movie on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't think I don't think other service Netflix might, but I think only YouTube, as far as I know, offers a uh, watch quicker option. HBO Max certainly does not. I'm sorry, Max does not. No, no. You know what? I might have done that though if I had that op. If I had that option ahead in front of me, I might have done it, but I didn't. It was tempting. Four hours. It was one of the many things I thought about while not really thinking about the movie um so christina told us why she picked uh to be on this one and kind of what her interest was in it uh you guys were bound by the contract to to do this but i'm curious still to know ken what's your history and background with the film cleopatra 1963 so i don't i i honestly don't know uh we haven't discussed quite yet whether any of us have watched all of this before I'd seen this movie once before in its entirety. You had? I had. This is wow. the second Ken watch. has now spent one third of the day <laughs> of his life <laughs> watching Cleopatra. Uh-huh. Uh, I've seen I've seen clips of the movie here. and I, I've basically walked into a room. It's been on the television and been like, okay, I'll watch this scene. And now you'll excuse me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out. 
Um, it's one of those. It's been on. I've caught a scene particularly, and we'll go there a little later. If Rex Harrison is in the scene, I'm more likely to sit down and watch it. If he's not in the mm. scene, I'm more likely to have walked away. Uh, that's my experience with this film. I've seen it. I've now seen it twice. And I, honest to God, can't remember everything about it, even having just watched it a second time this past week. Mm-hmm. It does have a quality of... Um, I've been watching this for 40 minutes. What exactly happened? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Josh, how about you? What was your past with this film before this week? Uh, just, I guess it's reputation more than anything else, which uh, I think Christina kind of alluded to this, that it's, its reputation is more than the context of the movie. In fact, like, the context of the movie is kind of very, very secondary to the movie's reputation. Um, it's the Liz Taylor and Richard Burton of it all, and it's the bankrupting of the studio of it all, and it's the... Uh, I don't re- think I realized how long the production was, but that too, being a long trouble production. Um, so that's what I knew, and that's kind of what I... That was my interest in it. I, I was I was more interested in the, con- in the content of the film than I thought I would be, but um, we can talk about that. That was, that was, that was my knowledge beforehand and my experience in the movie beforehand was just uh heard whispers of it as a kind of a curiosity in hollywood history more than like an important movie i guess mm-hmm. how about you tj i had heard of this film as most have um i think i probably saw like stills of it on tcm or something when i was younger like some of the iconography was familiar to me but i had the costumes not... and the makeup are, are very very famous i think for yeah. sure for sure i knew it was a giant um, like albatross of a production, but I had not seen, I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen really even sustained chunks of it before, but it was a curiosity. Um, I tend to run away from these giant studio epics, or as I've referred to them earlier, costume dramas. I Stuffy costume dramas, I, I kind of hate those. And so this was <laughs> the year I picked some self-inflicted um, Eat Your Vegetables. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I suppose now's a good time to say what this movie is. So I'm going to totally just rip this off of IMDb here. And this film, Cleopatra, is the story of Cleopatra of oh, Egypt, no. played by Dame Elizabeth Taylor, who wants to stabilize her power by using tensions in the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar, played by Sir Rex Harrison, visits Egypt has an affair with her, and returns to Rome. She bears a child and visits Rome to claim her place at Caesar's side. He is murdered before this can happen. She returns to Egypt, leaving Rome in turmoil. Mark Antony, Richard Burton, follows her to Egypt, and they fall in love. However, Octavian, Roddy McDowell, defeats Anthony in battle. (laughs) That's her synopsis. (laughs) So, um, I think that's kind of the highlights of what goes on in the film. It is directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, Written by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, Ranald McDougall, and Sidney Buckman, based on a book that was called the, was it Life and Times of Cleopatra? Yes. That's correct. By Carlo Maria Franzero. And then it also says from the histories of Plutarch, um, the, the lives and histories that Plutarch wrote. So the film stars Elizabeth Taylor, as mentioned, Richard Burton, Rex Harrison. Mm-hmm. We've also got Kenneth Hay, Martin Landau, Roddy McDowell, Carol, Carol O'Connor. Yes, and Carrie Carol O'Connor. Small, I saw him in the cast small. list. Yeah, and Carrie Elways. Um, I was I, I got really excited when I saw Martin Landau. 
Like I was, yeah. I was like yeah. Edwards, and you know. <laughs> yeah, and he's such a recognizable person because he's kind of a weird looking dude. Yeah, high cheekbones, you know, he, and the nose. It's like, yeah, I, I really like his look. I remembered. I think I saw him first in North by Northwest, mm-hmm. and was he's he's a henchman in that. Maybe has like three lines or something, but he makes an impression. For yeah. Sure. So. Yeah. So that was a lot of the background boilerplate things, but we've mentioned already that the reputation and context of the movie are kind of intertwined. So what did you guys know about the bankrupting of the studio and the tumultuous history of Cleopatra? It's a, it's a legend. It's a, it's, it's like a, a forewarning, I think, going forward for all studios at this point, because give us, give us some of the goods, Ken. So production started in uh, in 1960, 1960, actually, like fall September of 1960, 1960 yeah. Yeah, September, um, with a different director. So we, we were talking earlier about Joseph L. Mankiewicz directing the film. It actually started uh, with a director by the name of Mamoulian, Ruben Mamoulian, um, who I honestly, I'm totally, I was totally, he escaped me. Um, when I noted this, looking into it, he was uh, initially. We, we talked last um, in the last series about films from 1944. He was also the initial director on Lara, a film from which he was oh. also fired. So, yikes! <laughs> we we talked about uh, briefly on the recap episode. TJ and I discussed on a Preminger's Lara. So Mamoulian's two most famous pro- uh, productions, he got fired from. <laughs> Um, and he starts off with some really bad luck on this film because 20th Century Fox is giving him a lot of money and, most importantly, a huge star in Elizabeth Taylor. Mm-hmm. And Who, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. at the time commanded the largest salary ever yeah. for an actress of... She got one million dollars. <laughs> to the listeners, I have my pinky at the corner of my lip, just as you hoped that I would. Yes. And, and just just because we're going to be fumbling with numbers later, I did a quick like inflation calculation, and it's roughly, um, it's almost a times ten factor for the numbers that, that we're right. going to give. Yeah. Okay. I think it's like a I think it's like a point nine eight factor. So yeah, it's close in other to, words. So her- about ten million. Her being paid, her being paid, adjusted like ten million dollars. That's nothing. Yeah, not really. Nothing. No. Yeah. Well, we're missing a key part. Not only did she get one million dollars, she was tagged with ten percent of the gross of the box office gross. Ooh. Ooh. So that is that is a significant sum for the era. Considering we'll talk about it later, this movie did not really make back its budget. Wait. Remind me what gross is. Gross is before expenses. Correct. So like is okay. So the fact that this is a ballooned budget doesn't affect nope, her. No, it doesn't. Yeah, she her. walked away with money no matter what. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, Liz. Liz definitely got the upper hand uh, on this film. It didn't. It didn't pan well, or it didn't pan out well for the studio, obviously. And I'm sure she didn't like discussing it, given the, I guess, more infamous aspects of the production. Um, mm-hmm. We'll we'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit later about uh, her, Richard Burton. But Burton wasn't even assigned or attached to this film to begin with. Um, nor was Rex Harrison. We mentioned both of them initially. Peter Finch of network fame later on mm. was attached to play Caesar, and an actor by the name of Stephen Boyd was um, attached to play Mark Antony. And um, the only thing I know about Stephen Boyd is that he's the uh, traitorous friend in Ben Hur. If you've ever seen yeah. that other epic, uh, from what Will happened Wilder. to Peter Finch? Uh, well, so as we as we alluded to, oh, I was setting up for that. I was hoping Ken would say he was fired, and then I was going to be like, he was mad as hell. <laughs> well, I beat you to it. You did, TJ. He unfortunately, well, 
You don't have to answer that. I don't care. I was just setting a joke up. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it, it does Wait, speak. Ken, did we mention? Did we mention that it took two and a half years to make the movie? That's where I was about to go because that's <laughs> the reason <laughs> Finch and Boyle are. That's the reason they're not in the movie. <laughs> this, I mean, so early on, Taylor got sick. I mean, she got so sick that she had to be taken back to the states. Um, yeah, they took like a ten month break. Yeah, she got sick. yeah, she had to. Re- I'm sure. I'm sure there were other reasons besides her being sick that they took a ten month break. One being they were super over budget already, but like that was a big reason they they down. they shot for sixteen weeks, spent seven million dollars, which inflation with factoring inflation at seventy million dollars, they ended up with ten minutes, ten minutes of usable footage. They burned through the whole budget of the movie and had 10 minutes of usable footage after burning through the entire budget. Because James Cameron had half of Titanic when he reached his budget limit. Yeah. He at least had half a movie. Left That's not rough. 10 minutes. Not, uh, that rough. Not surprisingly, Mamoulian resigned. <laughs> no doubt 20th Century Fox uh, requested he do that. Otherwise, he was going to be probably forced out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's they brought in Mank. Yeah, they brought in Joseph Mankiewicz, which is interesting. Taylor had something not to do Mank with that. the Mank of Mank, no. but the brother of Mank from Mank. Correct. Not her. And the way lesser brother. Like, way to be the brother of the guy that wrote Citizen Kane. Well, you also wrote All About Eve, so... You I was going to say, he did have All About... Yeah. yeah. Joseph, okay, fair enough. Joe had, had, Joe had actually more success than Herman in Hollywood. Now, to TJ's point, Herman had Citizen Kane, which is revered mm-hmm. and all and that. And he has Mank. Let's not forget yes. Mank. Herman Mankiewicz has Mank. Uh... But Mankiewicz comes in because Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor wanted either George Stevens or Mankiewicz. She had worked with mm-hmm. both of them. She wanted one of them. They ended up going with Mankiewicz. Um, I loved the. I had to look this. I had to look into this because Wikipedia suggested it, and I had to go do a little digging to confirm it. But it's true that in order to get him to ju- jump onto the the production, 20th Century Fox agreed to buy his production company. So we're talking as we we're talking about this production budget ballooning over time, included in the cost was spending $3 million or $30 million in today's money just to buy Mankiewicz's private, his own little production company. So basically he's walking away with money up front also at this point just to come on board. This thing's a mess. Yeah. And and they still at this point only have 10 minutes of film. And Mankiewicz has decided we're going to rewrite the whole thing. Did they abandon those ten minutes too? I don't know if they. I think they did. Yeah, well, yeah, because they, I don't know if they ever used those. Right, because Finch's Finch and uh, Boyd, they had they had all new actors at the ultimately. In fact, Roddy McDowell's not even attached yet. Carol Connor probably isn't even in the movie. Martin Landau's not attached. So most of the actors who are in the movie that we actually watched, they're not in those ten minutes. I maybe Taylor is in it. It'd be interesting to find them if they're, you know, somewhere in the the bowels of 20th Century Fox. Disney <laughs> probably has their hands on it by now. They're in, they're in the vault with the uh, Eric Stoltz Back to the Future five years <laughs> filming, yeah. And uh, you talked about rewriting. They had originally planned two three-hour films. Yes. That was basically part one was going to be like Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, and part two was going to be... It's, it's extremely clear this is supposed to be two movies. Yeah. yeah. It's extremely clear this yeah. is supposed to be two movies. Yes. And they, as a part of the, oh, crap, how do we land this plane... Um, nixed that idea and threw this thing together into a one four-hour picture. movie. Yeah, part of part of the reasoning was because 20th Century Fox at that time uh, we talked. This is the other thing: when the production starts, there's one president of 20th Century Fox. By the time the film comes out, Daryl Zanuck, our friend, the producer of Wilson from a couple of a few weeks back, um, he's once again president of 20th Century Fox. By the time the film ends, and he's the one that tells Mankiewicz, "No, we're going to do it in one." Because, as Josh alluded to earlier, 
Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton have begun an affair on the set, and that got out. That's brought a whole bunch of terrible attention to the production, and 20th Century Fox decides, you know what, let's take advantage of it. And obviously, if you split it up into two parts, the first film is not much Mark Anthony, considering he's not even in the first mm-hmm. hour of mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. So he's mostly going to be in the second half. Him and Liz Taylor, you'd have to wait another year for that movie to come out. And 20th See, Century Fox I think they should have done that, is like, though. no. They should have done that, though. Because you know where the like where the intermission is? Right. Mm-hmm. Is where I assume the movie, the first movie would have ended. It's Mark Anthony and Cleopatra's like first meaningful meeting. And, like, they're both clearly kind of into each other, and then she sails away, and they don't see each other for three years. Is she, though? It seemed like it. I don't. the rest of the movie. I'm going to talk about that later. My point is, though, if you release the first part of the movie with all this, like, press about Dick Burton and Liz Taylor, and, like, they're barely in it together, that just, like, builds super... That just builds anticipation really bad. And, like, the movie kind of teases their relationship because, again, the movie, the first movie would end with their first meeting and then imply future meetings because she sails away and says, come to Alexandria anytime. And then they'd have to stew on that for a year. The public would have to stew on that for a year and then get, you know, the actual Liz Taylor, Richard Burton movie. And the only risk is would their relationship last two years <laughs> to last long mm. enough to get a second movie it, out. Exactly. But it did, ultimately. Yeah. That that's what what I was I was gonna say because if 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 it's a movie that lost so it, it was so expensive and lost so so much in like uh, financially to launch two different movies means twice as marketing throughout yeah. you know like longer times and stuff so maybe that came into to I mean because your logic of of, of marketing makes sense and it makes sense. In, a, in, in today's world but I don't know yeah. it, because it was Elizabeth Taylor and because it was uh, Burton you didn't know if it was going to last and it was going to be like yeah. an e. this is uncomfortable he, now we have a movie husband number 5 for her I think. yeah like, so yeah, it's, it's, also, it's all in the air how long that's going to last yeah. <laughs> also, you know, Liz Taylor's already got a reputation at this point because her current husband at this time the one she's cheating on with Burton is Eddie Fisher who she snagged from Debbie Reynolds, famously. Ooh, who, really? Yeah, who was her best friend when her husband... Elizabeth Taylor's husband at the time died. Their best friends were Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. And Liz Taylor was... He was he, he came over a lot and he was trying to, you know, comfort her, we'll say. I'm using air quotes here. Oh and ultimately he didn't go back to Debbie Reynolds and her and Carrie Fisher and the kids. So, yeah, Liz Taylor's already got a, bad, a, somewhat, a somewhat questionable reputation among audiences at this point. In 1963, yeah. 1950s Hollywood go- gossip corner. Yeah. Um, first installment. But but uh, secondly, I guess she's the Kardashian of her era. Remember that. Like she is she's the person on the front page of all the tabloids. The one everybody wants to talk about. If she if reality television had existed back then, I can only imagine what network would have paid her, buku- like just obscene amounts of money to have a camera crew follow mm. her around. Did you say Buku? Yes, I did. You did. <laughs> I regretted it immediately, but I was hoping you'd ignore it. Well, we should have like a Ken's vocabulary corner because <laughs> listening back in Titanic, he calls my heart will go on jejun, which I've never heard anyone use in a sentence that I loved. And then in Double Indemnity, he refers to someone as a fuss budget, um, which was like a spit take of a of a word use. So I, I appreciate it as as a literature and English teacher. Josh. Last thing I'll say about the two part, the, the non two part Cleopatra. 
another risk they would have run had they split the movie in two parts is what if there was an actors and a writer strike in between the two parts released and they'd have to delay part two for six months. Oh yeah. But then guys, <laughs> there would be nothing See, they could do about that. <laughs> That won't be topical anymore by the time you hear this, but they just announced a few days ago that Dune Part Two is being pushed back. No, but when this, when, when you're listening mm-hmm. to this, we would have been we would have been anticipating the actual release of Dune. You know what's funny is I can't remember what episode. I think it was the Double Indemnity episode that uh, I referenced the writer's strike, or maybe it was Titanic. Regardless, I was just listening back to an episode we recorded months ago. I referenced the writer's strike. The actual strike hadn't hadn't started yet, and I think I said by the time you're hearing this, hopefully the strikes will have been resolved and. Here we are, yeah. very much unresolved on both yeah. accounts. Yeah. So a- by the time you're hearing this, the strikes will be resolved, possibly. If 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 one, if one can, can dream, TJ, just to just to not to throw you off or anything, but we're talking still about the production because yeah. I don't want to let it get away. When we talk about them taking a break because Taylor got ill and a bunch of other things were happening behind the scenes, they wanted to rewrite it even before Mankiewicz comes on. They're planning to resume production and. April of 1961. That doesn't happen because Liz Taylor uh, ends up sick again. She ends up needing a tracheotomy, apparently, so she's out again for months at a time. The film started production in September of 60. It doesn't resume production until September of 61, after having only been working, they were working on it pretty much the, the back couple months of 1961 initially, or 1960, excuse me, uh, initially. And they ended up moving production entirely from London to Rome because they're mm-hmm. the production. What we see, the final product, mostly is filmed at, uh, I believe it's uh, Cina Cita Studios, which is just outside Rome, which is probably most famous for being a uh, a frequent setting or host for uh, Fellini movies, for example. Ah, um, so. Go. Uh, certainly, okay. he probably would have been a little uh, ticked, though, at the amount of studio resources being used <laughs> for this movie. And you see uh, it. <laughs> which, speaking of the studio resources, it was the most expensive film made at the time. Um, the budget, the shooting budget, ended up going to $31 million when you factor in the abandoned shoot and the... Um, what do you call it when you advertise the movie? Oh, yeah, marketing. marketing. There you go. <laughs> MA, yeah. yeah. Then you're talking about up to about $420 million. In today's money. Today's. Um, adjusted. Yeah, yes, adjusted. in yeah. today's money. And even though it made uh, in today's money about $570 million, it's still considered. Highest movie of 63. It was. Yeah. It was. Um, it's still considered a huge bomb. Because one that essentially that's well, because it is that's insane. The the number one movie of the year was a bomb. Well, think yeah. think about it. You, just think about that for a second. Yeah, we mm-hmm. we just I, I, we haven't really discussed it, but anybody listening, if you're not aware, generally the studios have to split half of their their box office gross with the the theaters up front, and then we already, as I mentioned earlier, Taylor is getting ten percent of the gross, so the studio is not making back that money. Ultimately, mm-hmm. whatever it's getting, the studio is not recovering everything that was spent because they're the only ones spending the money. Yeah. Right. So last boilerplate thing, and then we'll get into the, the movie movie. Uh, this film was nominated for nine Academy Awards, and it won four of those Academy Awards. So it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Visual Effects, Best Costume. It won all of those except Best Picture. And then it was also nominated for uh, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Rex Harrison, for Best Film Editing, Best Music Score, Best Sound. So it goes four for nine there. Um, End of the movie now. 
Christina, you're the guest. You go first. What'd you think of Cleopatra? Um, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's a different. It's a very difficult question um, <laughs> because a lot of factors come in. Um, yeah. I think um, it, you. Ha- I mean, watching it now, watching it in two in twenty twenty three, you do have to like turn off certain like light bulbs that come in when you're watching it um the first light bulb i had to like you know shut it a little bit down is that um the movie's called cleopatra and is it is it about her (laughs) i mean (laughs) during the first hour it's about uh caesar Mm -hmm. and it's like she's a secondary character and the movie is called cleopatra it just it bothered me uh, but again it's 1963 it's out of context it's you know it's liz taylor it's a, yeah, exactly right so um yeah. and you know uh, you have to know the context of what uh, uh liz taylor did that her her earning that amount of of, of money and her uh, like negotiating that and having like uh the residuals and you know whatever that by itself, it's a huge it's a huge gain for 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 women in, in the industry. You know, um, having said that, <laughs> and having been, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was <clears throat> I was very looking forward to it. Uh, yes, it, it, it's an iconic uh, film, and it's 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 legendary, and it came with you know with huge budgets, and and the first image of that film is just it's it's a wow like (laughs) i had to i i was i wasn't like it took me off guard because it's when um what's his name no casidius casidius yeah casidius comes in right Mm -hmm. and the amount of extras the the horses the you Mm -hmm. know just the 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 art the, the just the whole thing and it's like this huge like uh wide wide angle of it and it and 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 they just leave it there you they, you do you just have to like soak it all in because it's unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah. like the the work behind the the actual um you know the 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 hand labor let's call it to make that single shot i was like you know what this is this is too much and there's a saying in at least in 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 mexico in the mexican industry that's um you know you you come into you know your 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 film uh set and you bump into a a crew member and someone will tell you oh we have a cleopatra enters rome today you know Mm. And and what that means is that on the script it says exterior whatever and then in black in a single sentence is Cleopatra enters enters Rome. And that like scene, it's like a I don't know, ten minute scene of uh, a parade. With a thousand people. A thousand people, and animals, animals and special, effects, special effects, the people. special equipment, like the whole thing. And the script only says Cleopatra enters Rome. Right, so you know, so you know that that day that you you're going to shoot Cleopatra enters Rome is gonna be 
a doozy and it's going to be a long day and it's going to be you know a thousand extras or a long week a long, say, yeah it was yeah not a short well it's i'm glad christina that you're emphasizing these the, the imagery particularly the opening of the film which is kind of mind-bogglingly large in scope yeah um the the opening shot as it turns out was a reshoot in the production oh my so taylor elizabeth taylor was done with production in june of 1962 Makowitz and Rex Harrison and Martin Landau and 1,500 extras went back to Spain and shot that opening sequence in February of 63. So earlier the year the movie's released, that that's all a reshoot. They have they go back after the fact, after they've been editing the movie, just to add that opening sequence. You, you and know, it's and it's worth it. I don't. I mean, I don't. Th- I don't. I mean, clearly, I didn't see the the original scene. But it just, it's worth it. Like, I was, I, I was dumbfounded by it. But every time we, it's a, it's an interesting, like, the language they use throughout the movie, it's very interesting because they, they rarely go into close-ups. There's always, like, the two shot, it's the most used uh, shot in the, like, the whole t- the four-hour thing, you know? <laughs> Why? Because you're spending so much money in art, in, um, uh, wardrobes and, and everything that you have to show it off, right? Mm-hmm. And and this is this is when there was a, a nomination for a cinematography color, cinematography black and white, right? right. So you had to like they were still kind of experimenting and kind of and not experimenting, but but like moving into this new world of color and what it meant for uh, cinematography, what it meant to art, and what it meant to to costumes. And um, you, you really had to show it off. And that and I think, I don't know, like, I mean, obviously, I haven't the, seen the, the, the original 10 minutes of, of um, the original director. But maybe, maybe Mankiewicz, you know, had a really, t- I, like, and I, can, I can picture this, I'm, and I'm making this up, right? But knowing a little bit from my industry, like here in Mexico, someone in Fox, had a really deep conversation with Mankiewicz, and he was like, you have to show off for all this money that we're spending. Like, yes, do your close-ups, but your close-ups, they don't, they don't, it's not production value, you know? We're throwing you here, but this huge epic movie, show it, right? Like, it, it, it had to be like that, because the whites, the white shots are extremely long, Mm-hmm. It takes some chutzpah, though, to go back to the studio after all that money and be like, yeah, I need to take 1,500 extras <laughs> and the costume designers and the production crew and go back to Europe and reshoot a battle sequence. Mm. Can can we uh, can we get on that, please? Yeah, yeah. Like, I just wanted to highlight this piece from uh, The Guardian that was written a, a month or so ago about the 60th anniversary of the movie. And it's kind of what Christine was talking about here, like the... That maybe a, a bit of a tension between Mankiewicz's normal style and um, what this movie requires, given its size and scale, right? And uh, this is Guy Lodge writing in The Guardian. 
Uh, it's a more loquacious film than you might recall, uh, guess or recall. Mankiewicz, a director whose best work thrives on smaller-scale verbal tension and sparring, has immense faith in the power of conversation and argument to enliven Roman history and to animate the two marriages, uh, Cleopatra's chilly calculated arrangement with Caesar and her more passionate union with Mark Anthony, that essentially formed the film's two halves. As producers shoveled money into spangly, jaw-dropping centerpieces as Cleopatra's arrival in Rome and exquisitely choreographed in costume center, blah, 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 you can't help sensing that Mankiewicz would rather have made a chamber piece. Hmm. It is a pretty talky movie. It like, is. A lot of the movie is just like people in rooms talking despite the size and scope and scale. Yeah. And yeah. And, 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 it, and it does show like because they, they keep on, it, it, it's, like you said, it's a very talky movie, but you don't go into the close-ups. And it's... Yeah. You, you show the room and the costume. Exactly. That talkiness. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 To, to that point, it was interesting that uh, I think Liz Taylor said with the direction they took it that they added in her opinion, too many battle scenes and got away from what was at the heart of the movie, which she thought was the relationships. I was struck, actually, that it was not as big of a movie as I expected. Yeah. Isn't there only, like, three battle scenes? Or or even, like, kind of three huge set scenes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, there are, there are, there's a few, right? There's a few, like, big sets, and then there are a couple of big action set pieces... Mm-hmm. Like the battle, particularly the the battle of the water later, sh- just shockingly impressive in yeah. scope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then both of their Rome and Alexandria sets are large and vast and imposing. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're going to build it, you got to use it and show it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, your kind of off off the top remarks on the film, your reactions to Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll come back to the piece I just cited, the Guy Lodge piece in The Guardian. Um, he starts his piece by uh, saying that he like asked some friends and relatives if they'd seen Cleopatra. And he said that um, some said they had, most of them said they hadn't. But what was he, he was interested by was that uh, some people said they weren't sure. And so I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote from his piece again. Uh, More than one person told me they weren't actually sure. Quote, I definitely feel like I have, said one film writer, citing the the reams of well-publicized lore on its torture production and posing industry legacy. The popular cemented visual iconography of Elizabeth Taylor's lavishly eyelinered Egyptian queen and the film's status as the origin of the most glamorously turbulent romance in showbiz history. Quote, but have I actually watched the whole thing? If so, I've forgotten all the connecting tissue between its most famous images. So... It is. It does kind of strike me as a movie that's built around some famous scenes, and then the stuff in between is like maybe a little uh, forgettable. Like, I mean, I don't remember if we were talking before we turned the mics on or after we turned the mics on, but like, I think we all said that like we'd be sitting there and like realize forty minutes have passed and not like taking in anything from those forty minutes. And um, <laughs> you know, I yeah, that was kind of my experience too. I think, um, but I think I actually like this more than I thought I would. You know, uh, I, I saw a four-hour runtime, and, like, you know, um, we've watched some long movies for this podcast, some of them better than others, and I kind of just expected to be uh, reaching my phone a lot, and I wasn't, but I don't know if that's because I thought the movie was actually engaging or if because I was just kind of spacing out and not <laughs> not needing a distraction. I could, I, could, I could distract myself with my own, like, thoughts and not be paying attention to the movie, even though I didn't have my phone out in front of me. Um, even so, though, I, I guess what I'll say is... My interest in the movie before watching was what we kind of already talked about, which is like the extracurricular stuff about the movie, um, the lavish production of it all, the Liz Taylor and Dick Burton of it all. And on those accounts, like 
it delivered on those accounts and like piqued the things that I was interested in about the movie. But I'm still not sure I can recommend this because it's 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 a lot to get through just to get those things that interested me. And I feel like I could have gotten those things that interested me and it could have satisfied me on those terms without having to make me sit through the rest of it, I guess. Is that fair? I think so. Yeah. That maybe it's like okay. a, you know how some bands are greatest hits bands. You don't really need to hear the whole album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's like that. Yeah. You just have okay. to watch the single scenes, you know, the... Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay. This could be a great YouTube compilation movie. That that's that maybe that's the lane this movie's in. Yeah. Instead of release the Ramulian cut, release the Bradley cut. Like just kind of fifteen <laughs> minutes of Cleopatra. Well, uh, I, I could cut this down to a, a tight hundred and five minutes. <laughs> I probably couldn't. No, I, uh, I couldn't. But maybe I will. Ken, your thoughts on Cleopatra? This movie is it fascinates me. Um, after after all, I've sat through it twice now. So something I I didn't I didn't cheat. I watched it. Full on this week, beginning to end, um, on one x speed. On yeah, normal. Yeah, just I watched. It did you watch it? One, did you watch it in one sitting? I did not. I split okay. it up into two nights. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there was just no way. I was. I don't have the time for that. Um, did you watch on a one half speed, making an eight hour? Movie? <laughs> no, God, no. Um, my wife. My wife would have divorced me this week if I <laughs> if I had occupied our time with more than yes, more than what was necessary. Um, but what fascinates me is while watching this movie, um, as Christina was alluding to earlier. The production value is such that I am constantly distracted by the sets, by the costumes, which aren't necessarily, um, <laughs> not necessarily accurate, by the way. Um, they're just a little distracting, particularly the co- costumes they have Taylor in, which are obviously used and designed to help sell the movie. Um, but also, you, I'm constantly distracted by choices that are made in the movie, by actors, by Mankiewicz. Uh, by the writers of whom there seem to be an infinite number of script doctors working on behind the scenes on this movie. I mean, Mankiewicz is apparently writing the thing while they're, they're resuming production. Like he'd be directing during the day and then at night rewriting. And it's, it feels like an, a mess, but there's something kind of, I don't know, ever watchable about it. Like I'm just kind of, okay, where's this going? I want to keep, I want to see what the next scene I kind brings. I agree. Yeah. There's just, yeah, this it's, it's, it's pretty watchable considering how long it is. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't, I think like Josh, I would not recommend this to people, but if you're going to sit through it for whatever reason, I think you, you can get through the four hours and be like, I don't really know what I watched. I don't really know that, that that movie works in any way, shape or form the way they wanted it to. But that was an interesting set. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I don't share any of y'all's enthusiasm here. <laughs> <laughs> this is tepid enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You share even tepid enthusiasm? No, not even tepid. Uh, the the quote Josh read, uh, I wrote down, I'm not sure I've seen this either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sat in front of it and waited. Um <laughs> I had a similar experience of kind of spacing out, and if I didn't know the history, I don't think I could have told you what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. I mean, same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or have interestingly seen it in, seen a lot of it in Joseph Mankiewicz's film Julius Caesar, based on the play <laughs> yes. by Billy Shakespeare. Uh, so it was really weird watching him kind of restage exact scenes that he had done in that '56 film, maybe. Um, this was a chore for me. 
Holy cow. Um, I mean, it was a chore for me, too. It's a four-hour movie. It's going to be a chore. I don't, you mentioned Julius Caesar, by the way, <laughs> TJ. Yeah. I, I'm curious. Would you find this film more interesting if Brando were playing Mark Anthony in it? And I ask because Mankiewicz apparently, before they resumed production, wanted Brando mm. instead of Burton. For his Mark Anthony cinematic universe? Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, but I definitely would have appreciated a James Mason Brutus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was very difficult for me to prep even for talking about this because I feel like the film is all spectacle and for in my viewing experience it was very empty i don't really know a whole lot of what to talk about it was i find it to be quite ostentatious to the point that i didn't feel like i was watching a movie so much as i was watching like elizabeth burton and rex harrison like doing cosplay Mm. um and and it just it really didn't connect with me at all in a lot of ways um i I share a lot of the appreciation of the scale and kind of the sheer accomplishment that that um christina brought up and that josh and ken echoed but i don't know that's kind of not enough for me (laughs) Um, so i really struggled with this one but and uh, and i would agree with you huh Uh, i mean i think it's a it's a it it you i don't want to be mean because it's not fair because but i don't know but you sit there They're and you're dead. Watching. Yeah, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you you sit there and you you watch a scene and it's like this huge, you know, the the opening scene, and then it's you're watching it and it's like, but what did they say? Like, what? Where is this mm. going? And then mm-hmm. you arrive to you know uh, Alexandria, and then you don't know what's going on, and you had to and. I mean, I watched the the Cleopatra documentary on Netflix, like. I don't know, a month ago or two months ago. Oh, uh-huh. so I had like a f- like a maybe a fresh thing of history. Um, so I, I agree with you what you said that if you don't know the background, you do not have a, the least uh, the the least idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on that point, I'll say this, and this is really embarrassing, but I don't care. Um, I I kind of. I realized as I turned the movie on that I knew so little about Cleopatra, uh, what time period she lived in, uh, who she was involved with, that kind of thing. I had forgotten that a movie and Shakespeare play called Antony and Cleopatra exists. So Mm -hmm. had I thought of that, I would have been like, oh, obviously she lived at the same time as Mark Antony. And obviously because I've read portions of Julius Caesar and had to memorize his eulogy in eighth grade, like apparently a lot of people did. Obviously Mark Antony lived at the same time as Julius Caesar. Therefore Cleopatra and Caesar lived at the same time. So when this movie opens with Julius Caesar, I had to pause it and Google like, wait, (laughs) when was Cleopatra alive? What year is this? It just didn't. It didn't immediately compute to me that Julius Caesar would be a main character in this, mm. and I was like, "Wait, hold on." Is this like that Bill was... and Ted's Cleopatra? What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, Honestly, yeah. That was like, I had a moment like that where I like, uh, yeah. So I had to get my, uh, I had to get my ducks in a row and realize um, who the key players here would be. Because mm-hmm. I, I, again, I had no idea that Caesar and Cleopatra like knew each other and had a kid together. Mm-hmm. I like, I knew that. I've heard of the burning of the Library of Alexandria. I didn't know that was executed by Julius fucking Caesar. I didn't know that. Um, so, like, things like that, I think, were kind of interesting to me to, as the movie unfolded, like, me learning basics of, uh, you know. History. The, 
first century BC Roman <laughs> Egypt. Yeah. Um, uh, so I guess I guess in that sense, I didn't know that, so I was a little fascinated by that kind of stuff. But if you already knew that, then maybe you're uh, kind of already ahead of the movie a bit. Mm-hmm. And and you know, yeah. and, and 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 like parting from from your point, I think, and I just realized what bothered me with with the movie was that they grabbed like certain like historic events like um um julius caesar like uh, um acknowledging yeah no no yeah, but acknowledging yeah. his son with cleopatra you know yeah, that if if yeah, you yeah. pick it up like right. he they they grabbed like those like snippets of history and then they did like let's just join them together and like put them in four hours and then you know the audience will do the rest it felt like a chore watching it because you had to like they were i don't think it was uh the best storytelling no uh one could make you know would it would it be fair to say it felt to you more like let's connect the dots between yes these these standouts on a timeline and less like a particular narrative exactly like it didn't it didn't okay. it didn't like for me it didn't compute the like the character arcs mm-hmm. they're not there that was one criticism i read that like it's almost too historically accurate or it's like too beholden to the actual events and like it makes the movie less interesting and like yeah it's nice that they like get the this order of events in this order correct and like you know depict the cause and effect of how history happened but that's not that does make for, for an interesting movie and it would have been like it would have behooved the story to maybe move things around play with the timeline you know serve the characters rather than serving like a history lesson because mm-hmm. frankly mm-hmm. there's not a lot of insight into these historical figures is the is one of the biggest problems the fact that you've got a, a, a movie about someone so famous or or we'll say people so famous i mean caesar as we already acknowledged and mark anthony are just as important to the film as the titular character of Cleopatra, as far as when you're actually watching it, how the story plays out, and how much time they spend on those characters, and yet you don't get a whole lot of depth to the character other than facts we know about them. I mean, yeah. Rex Harrison brings a little bit something extra, I guess, to Caesar in this fact that he he plays him as charming, incredibly pragmatic. And he's got a, a, a wry sense of humor. But that's also more Rex Harrison, I feel, when I'm watching the movie, rather than him trying to create or do something with Caesar. It's just like, here's Rex Harrison, here's Elizabeth Taylor, and here's Richard Burton, and we're going to call them by these other names for the mm-hmm. next four hours. The cosplay thing. Yeah. yeah. As you were saying, and- yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny, Ken, you mentioned the Rex Harrison, because um, I was going to ask you about that. You mentioned him earlier. And I, would, I do want to talk about the actors. I can't get out of my head. I uh, I read the pictures at a revolution maybe 10 years ago. Mm, yeah. And he yeah, is yeah. such a son of a bitch in that book that I just can't yeah. stand him. Every time I watch anything with him in it, he might even be good. But I'm just like, you were such a little bitch on the set of Dr. Doolittle. I can't deal with this. Um, but That's a good book. I like oh, it's amazing. It was I actually yeah. I missed a class because I was reading that book and it was a choice. I was like, I'm going to read it until we go to class. And then I was like. No, and I skipped Latin class to read Pictures at a Revolution in the library. Um, and now you don't speak Latin, so shame on you. Well, joke's on Latin. Live it's with a your dead choices. language. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you killed it. You, you not going to that class was the dagger in the heart of the spoken Latin language. Congratulations, TJ. I blame Mark Harris and his amazing writing ability. 
Um, That's true. Yeah. Christina, do you have performances that you like or moments of performances that you like? Does Elizabeth Taylor work for you? No, not really. Um, I, I, it just, it, it, because there's no construction of the character, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I mean, the delivery of the lines is very interesting. It's a good delivery of lines. But there's no depth behind it. If 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 you're catching my if if mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like, um, it 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 goes it boils down to the 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 cosplay thing. Mm-hmm. It's just you're there. It's a scene and it's dramatic okay. and you I don't know. It's just it 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 didn't feel they didn't feel real to me. Maybe like all text, no subtext, sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, exactly. Oh, there, I think I think there's some subtext. It's just not what they're intending, particularly in the scenes <laughs> yeah, between yeah. Taylor and Burton. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's interesting is like I completely agree with what you're saying that like it is kind of cosplay between you know it's it's just Richard Burton and Liz Taylor dressing up, but that's also kind of what I find appealing about it, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what Ken was just saying about subtext or or meta text as I might call it, is that. Um, like a few scenes that I flag, number one, I talked about it. The, the last scene of what would have been part one, probably the last scene before the intermission is uh, Liz Taylor and Richard Burton's first like actual meeting before she's like she's fleeing because Caesar's dead and she's going to Alexandria and like there's some there's some subtext there it, both in the story and presumably between the actors in that like Mark Antony's like pretty demure and kind of maybe submissive submissive is the wrong word but pragmatic in the first half and he's you know he's serving caesar and now he's meeting caesar's wife not yeah wife yes mm-hmm. um yeah, he, he's, it's interesting wife or baby mama I, I, let's, let's, yeah. let's like too bogged down in the, the legal legalities of the <laughs> first century is, bc my point is like this this man he's worked for and served he's now like meeting the woman in his life and so he's like similarly demure to her and um but also is clearly kind of into her at least that's the sense i got and um the fact that in real life it's a a married man and a married woman also kind of into each other but like having to kind of dance around that because of the existing relationships in their lives like the way that Anthony kind of has to dance around his feelings for her because she's caesar's widow and the fact that harrison and burton are i'm sorry uh burton and Liz Taylor dancing around like I don't know that's probably me reading into it and me like knowing the real history and like reading more into the scene because of it and you know similarly when she when he comes back to her on the second half having married Octavia and she said like demands that he gets on his knees for her mm-hmm. you know I asked Caesar I demanded of you that kind of thing again like knowing they had like a tumultuous relationship and they're like you know constantly other people involved whether before they got together or after they got together again like her chastising him for marrying another woman while being with her is like again i i'm reading i'm reading the meta text into it and it's making the scene a little bit more interesting to me and not less interesting even though it is just them cosplaying the real life drama in their life and i agree with you um i mean if you take that scene out of context if you take that scene out of like you know the tumultuous relationship they had in in real life it is a a well-performed scene um the the and it's a very well written one as well because that single line that I asked uh, Julius Caesar, I demanded of you, mm-hmm. that it just, but again, 
that single line builds more of a character of, of who Cleopatra is in the movie, not not the historical character, um, but in the movie, than the rest of it. I just feel like there's so I much guess, disconnect yeah. between, and it's and and I think it's the way it's directed because you have like in, in the in the first half of the of the movie or or shall we say the first movie in the two movies mm-hmm. um so in the first movie when um uh, uh julius caesar comes into uh, cleopatra's like bath uh room i guess <laughs> um <laughs> your bathroom yeah. yeah um it's huge but yeah it's just we're calling it a bathroom but yeah he comes into the bathroom and and she's like half naked or, or she's like laying down you know you don't see her breasts and, and it's like a very uh like a sensual scene oh yeah um i think it's 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 too much um for the male gaze instead of what 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 the character wanted to do with that i mean if if it's the character's choice like cleopatra as a fictional character i mean uh, to do that, then would your would your would your uh, body language be be so? And what's what's the reason behind you letting him come into your bathroom, right, while you're naked or half naked? That place that would that would have like so so much power to her because I'm controlling you through my sensuality. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna like. Uh, woo you into what I want to do and what I want to do is to rule the world, right? I want to conquer it all. But the way it was directed, I mean, I wasn't there again, but I could see, you know, the director just coming to, to Liz and telling, uh, be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And I'm yeah. like, yeah. no, like, like there was such a huge opportunity. If you're going to play it the sensual way and if you're going to play it and you have already have a scene written in the bathroom, she's half naked with uh, her servant. He barges in, basically. Have her turn the situation around and have her mm-hmm. be the powerful person being naked. You know, because mm-hmm. she's vulnerable without her clothes. Like, I'm, 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 I'm using hair quotes yeah. here. But yeah. She, mm-hmm. she does say when he enters... Oh, it's you. That's like the the one. That's like the one way that she demonstrates power over him. But I I completely agree. And I and like, I and I, I could bet that was Liz Taylor's like improvisation, because mm, the rest of the yeah, script yeah. is very is very written. You know, it's it, and it mm. and it comes with the era. It's not like um, the 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 dialogues are very. I don't know how else to to say it. Uh, very written. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's yeah. not how people talk, is what yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's polished, it's not necessarily natural. Exactly, and oh, it's you? It's yeah. supernatural. <laughs> so, uh-huh. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't have this and script, what's, but yeah. And what's going, I'm basically just repeating Christina's point, but what's going on between the two characters is that from Cleopatra's perspective, she's like, I'm going to get what I want by getting this guy under my thumb. And I'm going to do that by wielding what power I have, which is I'm hot <laughs> and he'll be attracted to me and then I can wield power over him. Mm-hmm. And the perspective of the scene from Caesar, is Caesar, yeah. right? Who, who's, is yeah, Caesar, Caesar. Right? Yep. Caesar's perspective is he walks into a room and holy shit, Cleopatra's hot. <laughs> and like the perspective 
Cleopatra's perspective is by far the more interesting perspective there, but the movie kind of takes Caesar's perspective in that scene. And it's like a much less interesting scene for it. I think that's, I, that sounds like the point you're making. I think you're and it's, and it's And it's the perspective from the first like hour of the movie. That's mm-hmm. what I was saying, oh, yeah. that is yeah. Cleopatra really the main character? Or should this mm-hmm. movie be called Julius Caesar? <laughs> the dudes around Cleopatra. Exactly. <laughs> the dudes the dudes that were wooed by Cleopatra. That, I mean... Uh-huh. The, the revolving door <laughs> yeah. of Cleopatra's men. Yeah. It should be called Dang, She's Hot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a scene right before the scene Christina's talking about. There's a montage sequence. And in that montage sequence, they show her in her bath getting a massage. And if you'll recall, yeah. she's entirely nude from the side as she's lying down on her yeah. stomach. Yeah. And I'm like, what was the point? Correct. Of that, by yeah. The way. The, that was a really out of place montage. Yeah. That scene is literally just there because we've got Elizabeth Taylor at the time considered the most or one of the most beautiful women on the planet. Here we've got her naked on a on a massage table, basically. That's that's the I think point of view you're talking about. It's mm-hmm. totally totally takes you out of any story about yeah. Cleopatra. I think before that montage, there's the scene where Cleopatra is like surreptitiously listening in on Caesar and his men talking about her, and like one of Caesar's advisors is like, "We hear she's really good at sex, <laughs> and she picks her men rather than men picking her. So you better watch out, yes, Caesar." Yes. And like as they're talking about this, she takes her servant, like pushes him away <laughs> so that he won't hear them yeah. talking about how how she got that good good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's the frame of the movie, basically yeah. the first half at least. And I love that. I, I think that scene was written there so you so the audience would know like. Oh, okay. We gotta watch out for this one. Like, oh, she gives it <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, uh, watch it. Um, to to the point, I think we've been circling about the directing feeling, perhaps um, not up to the task. Interestingly, not nominated for best director, despite being mm. like the biggest movie ever made. And I'm, I'm perhaps previewing too far, but I just noticed this as I was looking it up. There's only two crossover for best picture best director this year there's like three sub outs which i think is really interesting but yeah uh mank mank don't mank it this time um can you you brought up earlier as well that you were confused by some of the choices that the film made and i imagine we've hit on a lot of them to this point but were there other choices that confuse you uh well honestly i think some of the choices, not only by the director, I think we, we, we're, we're picking apart Mankiewicz fairly under the circumstances, or maybe unfairly. I mean, he's coming into this late, and he's, like I said, he seems to be writing the movie as he goes, and just spending money as it's being made, practically. Yeah. He um, has two but, Best Director Oscars. I don't feel bad criticizing him. <laughs> that's a good that's point. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, More than Marty. Yeah. We're, exactly. Um some of the choices by the actors, we've been talking about it, and I don't. Um, I, I think a lot of the problem is certainly the direction. A lot of the problem is the screenplay, um, and the distraction by the set. But this cosplay, um, like feeling that we get, I, I can't. I'm sorry, but a lot of it is coming from the actors and the choices that they're making. Uh, Cleopatra was known for being. Uh, cunning and they try they more or less tell us that in throughout the film Mm -hmm. the way they describe her the way that people don't trust her in the scene christine is talking about the fact that she's spying on them Mm -hmm. it's suggesting that she is very savvy particularly politically 
And yet, in any time she opens her mouth, I feel like Liz Taylor's not delivering on that. She's delivering on the sex appeal, perhaps because mm. she's got an investment in the film, and they're telling her, we're selling this movie on your sex appeal, Liz. And yeah. so she's emphasizing more of that, and I'm not really getting... Um, I, I guess I'm distracted by the diva quality, rather than impressed by her presence. Whereas, mm. and then on, on the other hand, Rex Harrison, while I find him clearly more entertaining than than TJ or Josh, it sounds like, um, all of his humor, it's just like, it's witty sarcasm throughout. Mm-hmm. And it's also not entirely, you can tell where, okay, there's some charm here. Um, I can see where you're kind of convincing people. But at the same time, is this really, are you really playing or, or, or playing effectively the kind of person who I believe has conquered the known world up to this point or seems to be conquering and expanding the what will be the roman empire and richard burton seems more infatuated by liz taylor and he throughout the film seems distracted from the part he's supposed to be playing because i think something that we were talking about earlier the subtext between taylor and burton i don't really feel it during the first half of the movie they're not in a lot of scenes a lot very often um but the few scenes they're in Clearly, upon her entrance into Rome, Burton does sell the fact that he's awestruck by her. Um, like, the fact that Mark Antony falls for her almost immediately. She's this this exotic, you know, foreign creature who he's taken with. I totally buy, watching Burton's reactions, that he is into Liz Taylor. I don't get the same reaction from her. She mm-hmm. doesn't... I don't feel that she's very invested in him or very interested in him. And she kind of almost purposefully kind of flicks him away or maybe is trying too hard to not give in to her personal feelings for burton maybe it's one of those they 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 often talk about the fact that um actors who work together if there is any kind of subliminal feelings towards one another it's better that they don't act on them sometimes and let the tension build and show on screen whereas when they give in you some you sometimes lose some of that tension that can play through the characters. Maybe that's what's going on because I don't yeah. I don't really get it from her throughout the film. Okay. Um, I guess this is a long way of saying that I think the three <laughs> leads aren't really selling it for me. They're not really Eesh. doing it, um, and that's a problem because it's distract. Again, I think this whole film is just filled with distractions, which makes it on one hand fascinating for for me, but on the other hand explains why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh, I think you you had an answer ready for the question of what what else maybe seemed like a strange choice to you. Yeah, I have a more specific answer, and that is Caesar's death during the sequence of Caesar's death. Cleopatra's face is superimposed over it. Yeah. What do you think they're going for there? And before you answer, I guess I I wasn't sure before, but hearing Christina talk about the movie, I actually have come up with an answer while we've been talking about it. And that is Cleopatra is not the main character to the first hour. Caesar is, but she is kind of still involved in the second hour. Or I'm sorry, half rather. So they need to somehow get her involved in Caesar's death. Otherwise, the movie is coming to like a more abrupt stop at the midway point of this four hours. And so they just need to remind you, hey, Cleopatra's here, and this death is affecting her too. Well, but do you guys have any thoughts as to why Cleopatra's face is superimposed over Caesar's? It is a little funny that this film seems to be suggesting 
Julius Caesar ultimately died because of because he was he, he really was taken with Cleopatra's good good as Josh described earlier, <laughs> so much so that he allowed her to come over and be like, "You should be emperor," and he's like, "I should be emperor," and they're like, "That's it, kill him." <laughs> I mean, yeah. she's the reason he's dead, is what the film is suggesting more or less. If I can land this chick, I should rule the world. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve to. And it's a strange scene because she's also it's like she's got her. I don't know, soothsayer or her, her goddess. Yeah, is she her... like seeing a vision of? Yeah, I, I think practically speaking, she's seen a vision of his death either as it's happening or before it happens, and like she's ostensibly reacting to what we're seeing because she's also seeing it, which is Julius Caesar being stabbed forty-four times or however many times he was stabbed. Um, but I don't know. It's just like a. It, it kind of pulled me out for a minute. I'm like, why are they doing this? What's the th- this is a choice? Yeah. Why are they making this choice? I guess is what I was, it's, what I was thinking. It's similar to a scene earlier when they're when they first are together in bed. The whole time they're in bed together, the film, the, the the scene is shot through like a, I guess the the silken curtains are mm-hmm. hanging around the bed. I don't know why. Why is there this hazy this hazy covering on the scene? Because it's not a fantasy, I so I don't know what's going on. There. But it, maybe it had to do with the time. No, there's because Possibly. they're not married, and oh, they're in yeah. bed. So oh, yeah. it's rated G. Exactly. Uh huh. Yeah. So you know, for kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I mean, just to not see them in bed, you know, it's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It, it might have been too abrupt to shoot it that mm-hmm. way. So they put the veil and they make it a little bit more. I don't know, elegant. I guess. Um, yeah. The super uh, Elizabeth Taylor's uh, face superimposed. I agree with with, with Josh. Because I was like, maybe it's like the, I, I mean, it's, I'm exaggerating here, I know it, but maybe it's like the fourth time you see Elizabeth Taylor actually do something, <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's scream and cry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. It's like, uh, well, yeah, you have to, you have to do a reaction shot to get people to remind of, to remind them that the movie is supposed to be about her. Um, yeah. It's maybe a clumsy way of trying to shift the. Yeah. Uh, focal point. Um, yeah. They're changing the main character because I think mm-hmm. in the second half, she kind of does become the, the, the main character. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a shift in the main character, which has been done before, you know, psycho, da, 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 but it, it, it's, it, it feels clumsy. There's also a, a power shift too, though. Cause like part of why Caesar is such a big part of the first part of the movie is like when we meet her she is he is just won a civil war and she is losing a civil war when we meet her and we meet him Mm -hmm. so she needs him she needs to seduce him because she needs him on her side and it's only through getting him to like her does she win her civil war because he kind of makes that happen for her and then in the second half it's kind of flipped where like she has the power and mark anthony needs to go to her for help yeah i think assuming I understand how this movie again this movie kind of washed over me like TJ said so I think that's what happened but like yeah. that might be um, a bit of how the, the the character focus changes is the power yeah she goes from being the femme fatale to the maybe the, the, the main character and I say maybe because yeah. mm, I don't know yeah um, Mark Anthony is still a pretty big deal in the second yeah. Movie. yeah on on that note of that standing out as kind of a strange choice otherwise I found the directing to be kind of alarmingly safe in terms of its choices. Yes. And and for me, I have an issue with that because it, it creates a clash between 
the the big showiness of the movie or at least the way the movie presents itself um i think the tagline for the film was the motion picture the world has been waiting for exclamation point and for the extents to which it goes it's rather and except for a few scenes, it, it's kind of masterpiece theaterish to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and in the shots and the shots that are chose chosen, and so it seems to me that there's a really strange clash between these rather traditional choices and then the bigness. Which, what I find interesting about that is that this movie is such a linchpin between um, movies trying to do something different. Which, when we get to the Hollywood Renaissance, they're going to do so by kind of going smaller and deeper rather than larger and shallower like this one does but but it's also still holding on to some of the vestiges of old hollywood and so i think it's it's an interesting movie where it's starting to try those things but i i think kind of failing um and you you have to remember one of the things we're dealing with in 63 is people have televisions in their homes now and part of what movies are struggling with in 1963, and I think are struggling with in 2023, is how can we do something in the movie at the cinema that you can't get at home? You know, you can't you can't get through television. And I think part of the hugeness of this movie in so many ways is an attempt to go, you're not going to see this on the tube at home. Right. Um, does that resonate with with um w- any of your viewing yeah and i think and I, I, I hadn't really thought of that and it makes sense because why would you have like these huge wide shots mm-hmm. and last so long you know and i was like and and yeah they have to show it off they have to you know but your four by three television is not going to be able to fit it and it's you're not going to be able to see the whole thing so yeah, and I, black I, and white television and black yeah. and white television as yeah. well. Yeah, it's it's not for nothing. You're talking about these wide these wide shots. It also results in staging that feels very play like. Mm-hmm. Like this, a lot of the a lot of the scenes between the characters when they're in the chambers, they're just it's a lot of exposition. It feels like I could be watching a play on Broadway. Just take out all the ornamentation and, and the cameras, and um, and in fact. To some degree, the acting kind of reflects that. For example, there is a scene late in the film, right after they've lost the Battle of Actium, when um, Cleopatra goes to or confronts Mark Antony, and he kind of has his his temper tantrum, mm-hmm. and he's they they give Burton slight elevation over her. He's like up a couple stairs, and she's like looking up at him and pleading with him, and he's just having he's lashing out at her, and I really didn't understand. The, the choice there because it makes her to me at least it makes her seem to some extent weaker mm-hmm. because he's looking down upon her and maybe that's somewhat intentional but it doesn't seem to reflect the point they're trying to get across with the characters and I had to I had to look this up and found something on it apparently they decided that at some point during production when they were going through the dailies Richard Burton wasn't coming off manly or strong enough. Oh. And so they actively make choices in the second half of the films, depending on the shooting schedule, when they shot what scenes. Sometimes he's got a slight advantage over in the staging because mm-hmm. they want to make him appear bigger and, you know, more independent, more. He's the dominant 
person in the, the conversation, even though the film is actually presenting a story in which it's suggesting, to Josh's point earlier, in the second half, Cleopatra's supposed to be the dominant one. She's the one with all the resources. She's the one he's coming to. And yet, in one of the more explosive scenes in the, the movie where they're actually having it out with one another, he's got the upper hand. Yeah. And it's, it's an odd choice, and mm-hmm. he performs it almost as if they're on a stage. It reminded me very much of the two of them fighting it out in a much better film, which is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf just a couple years later. That movie rules. And it's basically the same thing. It's it's this kind of this heat and passion between the two actors spilling spilling over into the characters. It works much better in that movie. And in this movie, it just feels off. It doesn't feel like it's it's correctly used at all. You you mentioned he doesn't look manly. Dude skips legs day leg day. Oh my! He's got the, he's got tunics. some chicken legs there. His tunics, man. What this <laughs> comes back to the costume choices. She's wearing she's wearing outfits that would be revealing in some some scenes very revealing in today's world. Mm-hmm. And he's got those short tunics. What is he's the only one? Mark Anthony's got the shortest tunics that come down to like his thigh. It's really weird. Can- can I preview a little bit of Josh's Populous Corner with a brief letterbox review based on the current topic we're discussing? Yes, of course. Uh, this, is a, this is a four-star review. <laughs> four hours and 11 minutes, and all I can think to write about are Richard Burton's thighs. Thank you for reading. <laughs> wow. Not much to write about there, though. Yeah. Like earlier, Before you mentioned what if they had cast Marlon Brando and said, instead, he hit the gym before, you could tell. <laughs> Richard Burton, not as much. Um, and I do like Richard Burton. Um, you know, I, I think now is a good. I mean, we can come back to the conversation, but since we're there, what what else is on Letterbox, Josh? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I, I was kind of chuckling before we turned the mics on at some of these, just because they're like they're the jokey like one sentence Letterbox reviews that you kind of expect for a movie like this. I think, but mm-hmm. they also make me laugh, so that's okay. Uh, the highest <laughs> highest rated review on Letterbox is a three and a half star review. I can't argue with risking it all for 60s Elizabeth T- with Elizabeth Taylor and her low-cut dresses. Oh, my. Fair. Yeah. Okay. With it. Uh, elsewhere, um, what were people doing in the 60s? They had the patience to sit through a four-hour period drama. I like. I get that Elizabeth Taylor is hot, but at what cost? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I would, I would agree with that review. Like, tell me something else. Like, sh- like tell me a story here, please. <laughs> A three-star review. Watching a four-hour-long movie in one sitting is the greatest accomplishment of my life. Wow. Congratulations to that person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of stuff like that. And th- okay. there are a few, like, actual reviews that kind of, like, go through a little bit more into the plot and the history. But um, most of them kind of reference the fact that the, the production is more famous than the movie itself. And, mm-hmm. like, that's more, like, the draw. Uh, I think I, one thing I read before I turned the mics on is this is a – Smaller blurb and a much longer review, but, quote, The way that Heaven's Gate marked the end of cinema autourism, Cleopatra was the long, long goodbye to the big budget studio productions, which I don't know if that's totally true. I think, like, the musical bubble burst a few years after this, and that was kind of the end of yeah. Well, likewise, I wouldn't blame Heaven's Gate for killing autourism. I think you could probably oh, blame Star Wars. Holy really. kale. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm kidding. That was a that was a joke. Although um, to your to your point, Josh, I think th- this is definitely the beginning of the death knell for the studio, the big studio budget movies. There's still a couple more coming, including with Rex Harrison the following year with My Fair Lady. But otherwise, like 20th Century Fox, I think they attempt big budget movie with Doctor Doolittle a few years later, which again, actually with Rex Harrison, <laughs> Rex <think> Harrison. <laughs> um, 
that maybe we really... blame Rex Harrison for uh, yeah. playing studios. <laughs> it's Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison brought about the downfall of the studio era. That's the that's the the lesson learned. Last letterbox thing I'll say because I think it kind of captures everything we're talking about. Uh, it begins with a quote from the movie and then has a little blurb about it, which is, "Words are wasted on such a man. I've wasted so many words on so many men." Yes, I watched four hours of Elizabeth Taylor looking stunning in at least 50 different outfits, and I have no regrets. <laughs> okay. There you go. All right. A good little quippy line, of which there are a few good ones in this movie. Not enough just like four hours, but there are a few. And also, Liz Taylor's hot and has cool costumes, and that's that's what people watch the movie for, basically. Yeah. And some for some people, four hours is worth it. For others, it's not. It's, it's interesting to me that so much of our conversation was the background to the movie, and all of the letterbox reviews refer to the star power of the movie. I think uh, to state the obvious, an important part of the legacy of this film and whether it works for you or not is we used to have movie stars. Um, When I was watching this movie, I thought if they made this today, who would it be? Which interestingly, like for a while they had Angelina Jolie attached. Now there's supposedly a Gal Gadot movie that Denis Villeneuve might be circling. But, you know, I I was just kind of thinking, who would it be? And the answer kind of is um, we, we don't have, we don't have movie stars anymore that we you have would. Zen- we have Zend- Zendaya, and that's basically all we have now <laughs> is Zendaya. Uh, and and that idea of watching it and then having the what Josh said meta text that was there, um, I just don't think that really exists in American film anymore, for better or for worse. And perhaps that's part of the lasting legacy of this movie, whether you are attached to that or not. But um, do you guys have have kind of? Last things we didn't talk about. Last thoughts about the movie that we we can't not. Say. I have a, I have a few random smatterings that'll take me like sixty seconds to get through. If you like, just like little bullet point. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Pop, 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 pop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, number one, I, this is like the only one of substance. The other ones are kind of uh, superfluous. But uh, I thought it was cool that I always I'm a sucker for when like things repeat themselves and like things rhyme particularly in like a two halves kind of movie when something happens in the first half and it's kind of repeated in the second half in a different way. And in this case, it was um, Antony tells Calpurnia, which was Caesar's wife, Antony tells Calpurnia of Caesar's marriage to Cleopatra, much to her dismay. And then in the second half, um, Cleopatra is told of the marriage of Antony to Octavia. So in either case, we don't see the marriage. We see like the other woman reacting to hearing about the marriage. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like... There's not really a point there, but I was like, oh, hey, they, they did that earlier. Now they're doing it again. That's kind of cool. And again, that's just that kind of thing impresses me whenever they do that. So uh, that's it there. Um, number two, why are there belly buttons on the Roman chest armor? <laughs> why are there, there belly buttons on the Roman chest, chest armor? Why are there nipples on the bat suit? Well, I don't know. At least there's like an anatomical chest in the back suit. They don't have nipples on the chest armor, but they do have belly buttons. That just, I don't know, something that I noticed. <laughs> And uh, lastly, during the pretty cool and pretty epic like naval battle in the final hour, yeah. which I thought was cool, or last hour and a half, um, during that battle, the Egyptians have like a little toy battleship set up to like mark which <laughs> ships are down and which ones are on fire, and they have like little toy boats on fire yes. to like mark the progress of the battle. I'm like, good for them. That's cute. Well, uh, got the little toy boats figuring out their battle strategy with their toy boats. Good for you guys. <laughs> uh, um, and. Uh, I, I guess I do have one more thing, and that is um, the producer of this movie shot his wife twice and only served four months in jail before making the movie. Did you guys read that? No, oh, very wow. lead there on Walter Wanger. Is that yeah. who you're talking about? 
if you go to the production section of the How? Wikipedia page and read the very first paragraph, the guy who like ultimately got this movie, spent ten years getting this movie to the big screen, during the course of that ten years, found out his wife was stepping out on him, shot her twice, she survived, pleaded insanity, and only served four months, and then made this movie after serving those four months. So that's the second worst thing he ever did. <laughs> but th- that also like not to take it this place this movie is so much about like infidelity oh yeah and stepping on of people and like from the from the text of the movie to the actors involved to the apparently the producer involved mm-hmm. to the point of like killing someone over it um again well, they didn't serve, uh, succeed killing someone thankfully but um yeah that's what that's the whole dna of this movie is just infidelity i love that he pleads insanity and is like and back to work who's got 400 million i can make clear <laughs> yeah. uh, 35 million dollar production yeah. well it kind of makes sense to, to what um what bothers me with the movie that cleopatra either is not there or she's the villain or she's not depicted as yeah. uh one of the world's greatest gov- uh, like um governors historically yeah. there's been you know, mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. it's his perspective as well as as the producer. He's he can he for sure moves on strings to to portray her like that and to just have her. You know what 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 um, Letterbox says? She's hot. <laughs> that was the purpose for him. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it it it. I I think I think it weighs in 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 that. Um. Wow. Four months. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. That's yeah. Really yeah. Yeah. Be- before uh, before Ken, we part, have, yeah, I do want to, yeah. I do want to mention or sh- sh- give a shout out. The editor for this film, or the listed editor, that's important to note, is Dorothy Spencer, who was one of the early female editors in Hollywood. It's a field in the, in the film industry that's actually occupied or populated by a lot of women, if you look back over time. But she edited films like Stagecoach and Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent, as well as Lifeboat. Um, we actually talked about The Snake Pit uh, earlier on in our series. Um, she edited that film. Um, this film is not all that well edited, I feel like. And it's I, I want to make it clear, I don't think it's because of Dorothy Spencer. From everything I've read, 20th Century Fox came in later, and because they had decided we don't want to do this in two parts, um, they really took over the editing. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this, I think it shows that this seems to have been edited by studio executives and maybe a team of people coming in and trying to cut it up, cut down on the time and figure out how to make it work as one long film as opposed to two parts that Mankiewicz was intending. Um, it's just, I, I they feel also had to do like they they added like forty five pages of reshoots to try to fill in gaps right. that were missing. Yeah, and in her credit, even if she whatever she did edit, I mean, I can't imagine what mess was left in front of her <laughs> to try and edit down. Here, Dottie, yeah. find us a movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also I, I read somewhere that that uh, Elizabeth Taylor was not pleased with the result of the movie mm. because um, I I don't remember where I read this, but. Um, that she claimed that there was a lot of scenes that didn't make the movie. And I was like, <laughs> how long was this? <laughs> yeah. The initial, I read the initial cut was five and a half hours. Uh-huh. That was the initial the initial cut. They got it down to five and a half hours. And they still ended up playing with adding stuff and taking stuff out. TJ, to your point, that was before they reshot the battle sequence yeah. that we see at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> so, yeah, 
Uh, yeah, this is this was. I can only imagine what actually was delivered to I the editors. This movie, I, I'm, I mean, and I'm not sure it did, but it might have ended careers. Like it, it just sounds like it was such a like a, a chaos the whole thing mm-hmm. that it just wasted a lot of money and and you know heads would roll because <laughs> of it you know yeah you would think so mm-hmm. there's there's got to be an interesting like behind the scenes making of book about this yeah that I would love to read yeah um, I mean I think we're talking I mean as far as ending careers. I, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't working after this, but I mean, Joseph L. Mankiewicz was one of the toasts of Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. He doesn't have much after this. Like, this is mm. Cleopatra is pretty much the back end of his career. He He's alive for a while hereafter, but he has no success, really, after this movie. Mm-hmm. So, to your point, Christina, yeah, it may have ended one of the bigger, uh, bigger careers involved in the picture. I would like to point out that making a very expensive movie that does make a ton of movie money can end your career, but apparently shooting your wife twice does not end your career. You can go ahead and make a movie after that. Make several movies after that. Yeah. That sucks. Wait, do you mean, but do you mean to are. suggest that certain men in Hollywood can behave badly and get away with it? I'd be the first to be brave enough to make such an <laughs> assertion. Wow. Let, I might be making that assertion. I'm going to have to think about that and see if there's evidence for it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Christina. I think that's all I got, TJ. Yeah. About Cleopatra. Yeah. Christina, do you have anything anything else on Cleopatra before we um, shut it down? I have I I did notice one um uh directorial decision that I was like, oh mm-hmm. here we go. We have one. Um There's life. <laughs> there's life. There's this uh, montage kind of scene of uh Cleop- I think it's Cleopatra and Mark Anthony ju- um fighting each other like like discussing and they do it and they have like uh wardrobe changes and they make mm-hmm. you feel like they have it's it's a single scene but it but it's filmed as if as if this discussion would have lasted a, a whole week and kind of gives mm-hmm. you the idea that it was just a very you know tumultuous um relationship and um yeah I just I just wanted to point that out that okay mm-hmm. it's there <laughs> signs of life mm-hmm. um yeah um so last sort of questions and this one i didn't prep anyone for but they've been circling remakes of cleopatra if they were to do so just off the top of your head who do you cast who do you who's your dream director and just for the sake of making this easy because i did it right at the last minute um there's a lot of arguments about how cleopatra should be represented racially um I don't want to get into that, so feel free to sidestep it. Uh, if you want to make her Chinese, whatever, just um, what do we know what her actual ethnic background was? Because I don't actually. Well, know. So yeah, I think she was Macedonian Greek. I was going to say she was she was a member of the the Ptolemaic dynasty, which would have been descendants of Alexander the Great, more or less. So they were Greek, not actually Egyptian. Uh, mm-hmm. My understanding is Cleopatra was actually quite popular in Egypt because she was one of the few. Uh, pharaohs or leaders of her era that she that actually could speak to the egyptians like she learned Mm -hmm. the language otherwise her predecessors like her they they show her brother in this movie a lot of their family members like i think they were speaking greek which is how she was able to communicate with the romans so easily Mm -hmm. they they had some common languages involved that said i imagine she 
again, not to get into it, I'm not sure exactly. I'm sure some historians probably know. She probably just looks Middle Eastern, right? I mean, she's she grew up on the Mediterranean, so um, she would have spent a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a. The, so the it, it doesn't have to be Nia Vardalos playing her in the remake, then. It does not. Uh, but that is that your pick? <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably not with all respect to Nia Vardalos and the whole My Big Bad Greek Wedding crowd I, I guess what I'm saying is I can see where yeah. I can, I've can. i seen rumors about Godot being involved, be attached uh-huh. to a project like this I guess I can kind of understand why they went to her considering she's from literally probably within a few hundred Israel, miles Israel, yeah, yeah she's from I'd Israel prefer they find, I'd prefer they find an actor if they're going to cast somebody yeah, That's well that's the thing They. that's a shot at, at, at Gal Godot just Never mind. I'm going to cut that out, I guess. I, I will not That have, woman cannot act. I will she not cannot act out of a paper bag. have that erasure of Giselle from the Fast and the Furious franchise. Absolutely not. <laughs> I've not seen her turn in the Fast and Furious movies. I've not seen a Fast and Furious movie since the second one, unfortunately. Uh, my answer to this question is I'm going to go. I think actually if I was picking an actor, I think Ana de Armas would be great in this role. Mm. But uh, mm. I'm going to have, to make it garish, I'm going to have Boz Lorman direct Taylor Swift as Cleopatra. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's... Boz Lorman is probably the guy to do it. And you want to pack again, some seats? Ed- you get some Swifties in <laughs> but there? But the thing is, every time they announce a Boz Lorman movie, whether it be Great Gatsby or Elvis, I think, you know what? That's a good Boz Lorman project. And the final product's like, eh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, see, so. that, be, that gives me inspiration, TJ. Now I'm just thinking, instead of Taylor Swift, give me Selena Gomez. And we could get Steve Martin and Martin Short to do Caesar and Mark Antony. Oh, God. Well, just, okay. There's Ken's oh, answer. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, no. in the building cast. Selena Gomez getting it all with Steve Martin That's what Martin Ken Short? wants to see, everybody. No, no. Oh. Just <laughs> going wild. Uh, it'll be a comedy, by the way. My version is just uh-huh. straight up. Can we change it? Instead of their lovers, they're like her dad. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we just gotta do a, do a new pass in the script. Okay, possibly. that's something that's mentioned in the beginning of this movie that I find kind of... I mean, it happened, I guess, back in the day. It's first century BC. Julius Caesar shows up to Egypt because he's more or less like the legal guardian after their dad the died. He's executor of, the, of Yeah, of the siblings. Yeah. They're co-ruling mm-hmm. Egypt. Yeah. And he has to come in because they're fighting with one another, like the mm-hmm. parent or mediator. But he's like... Because he's the guardian of the will or the... Ex- the executor of the will or whatever, and he's responsible mm-hmm. for them. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to pick the girl over the boy, and oh yeah, I'm going to shag her and and <laughs> create a dynasty with her. It's really, it, it's one of the little things that right. just make me unsettled about that part of the story, but... And you went, that part played by Steve Martin. <laughs> yes. And, 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 As a comedy. He's got, no romance. He's got Selena Gomez, I picked T-Swift, Josh has Nia Valderas. <laughs> 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 Oh. Um, Zendaya because she has to be. Ca- she's the only movie star left, so I'll say go. her. Okay, Christina, yeah, do you have somebody? I, I would. I, I'm really terrible at casting, but when Josh mentioned Zendaya, I was completely on board with that. Um, okay, you because, can see it. Yeah, right? I you can, can see like, it. Immediately see the movie, and yeah. she's. Yeah. I think she's the right age as well, and um, I believe she. I believe she's a great actress, and um, I would make it. Like this deep drama, you know, this mm. political deep political drama. Um, as as I think her life was, I, but because the the whole thing with Julie Caesar kind of coming in and like, oh, you're, you you two you two are fighting, you know, the siblings. They were actually uh, trying to murder each other to 
have the whole power and you know and and if that that would if one of them if i think the brother actually killed cleopatra that would have been worse for rome so it wasn't mm-hmm. in their interest to have cleopatra you know uh, fleeing you know um then do you do you cast tom holland as mark antony <laughs> i honestly no. That I, I could see that if, working too. If we're going Zendaya, I actually take a more serious choice thanks to a recent, I, primarily thanks to recently watching Oppenheimer. I was dead serious, but I'd go Robert Downey Jr. Maybe as Caesar. He's in his fifties. Oh. I think. What do these age gaps, Ken? Julius, <laughs> what do you think? Julius Caesar was in his fifties at the time, and and um, oh really? Like, I want like Christopher 20. Plummer's corpse. <laughs> well, well, historically, that's about the right age gap, right? <laughs> No, you're right. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, Last question. Um, What do you think of this film's best picture nomination, inclusion among the best pictures? Does it hold up? How's it compared to the other ones? Um, Let's start with Josh here. Uh, I mean, I didn't like super love this movie, but like, I don't know. They kind of pulled it off. You kind of got to doff your cap a little bit to them and be like, hey, man, you guys worked really hard for two and a half years and spent more money than anyone's ever spent in their lives making this movie. So let's like, you know, yeah, yeah, you can, you can be nominated. Yeah, there you go. Here's, okay. Here. Enjoy, enjoy your nomination. You, Notice I didn't do anything for you. You'd throw it a nice try bone. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Ken, how about you? Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> I wouldn't be so generous. Um, I, I get like, I'd be the person to come in and be like, wow, you guys spent two and a half years. You spent all that money, all that hard work and you guys couldn't pull it the fuck off. Like this movie just doesn't quite work. It's fascinating to watch. They finished the movie. They finished the movie. Did they though? Did they really finish the movie? (laughs) Is it there? I think they just finally delivered something for us to watch. And, um, yeah, it's an odd pick here and I've got it. Part of it's got to be just like. Again, maybe the Daryl F. Zanuck aspect, being the head of the studio, being as powerful as he was, having to come in and try to save 20th Century Fox. They're like, you know what? We'll throw Daryl a bone here. He'll feel maybe this will placate him a little. Here's your here's your Oscar nominations. You'll feel a little better for having lost all that money. It's yeah. yeah. Today, after Wilson too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Stop making Wilson. <laughs> Christina, because I want to give you the last word. I'm going to answer this and then I'll throw over to you. Um, okay. I, I did not care for this movie. I don't think it should have been a Best Picture nomination. I, unlike Ken, will live the rest of my days without watching this again. <laughs> um, and I will too. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, I'm glad I saw it. I can I can check it off. But oof, you talk about homework. Yeah. Um, it was very much yeah. homework. Yes, yeah. absolutely homework. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, Christina. Well, I, I, I kind of have to agree with all of you. Um, it, it got the nomination mostly because of a political power thing of you know Fox and you know I'm throwing you a bone or it's a marketing thing like give me something you know um, for from that standing point and or. Because of the technical things they did, like those scenes, those battle scenes, for them, for themselves, for what they were able to do and actually shot, and actually shoot, um, they deserve the, the nominations. But the individual oh, yeah. scenes, you know, the the war scenes, the big, the the the, the, the big scenes, for that they do. Um, 
for the whole thing, yeah, it was. It, there were some negotiations behind. Yeah. The whole is not equal to the sum of the parts. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap us. Oh, Josh. Last thing I want to say. I forgot to say it earlier. Uh, I couldn't stop thinking of George Clooney and Hail Caesar while watching Rex Harrison. In the movie. Oh goodness, yes. He's, he's so Baird Whitlock, or I guess Baird Whitlock's very much Rex Harrison. For sure. I thought I thought a lot of uh, Re- Romans before slaves. <laughs> Romans before slaves. Yeah, I thought That's George Clooney and Hail yeah, Caesar. Yeah. I thought of the film Babylon as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah. As Christina was talking about the opening shot, I was thinking about Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that movie more than this. <laughs> Well, that that'll be it here from us, Christina. Thank you again for joining us. No, thank you. Um, it was it was awesome. Again, we really appreciate having you in the perspective that you bring. So you will be invited back. Come uh, back a third time. Yes. Yes. And uh, I, I'm going to make you pick again. So <laughs> um, be careful with your choice. Yeah. This this time I'll do. Uh, I won't. I won't. You know, when you when you uh, texted me the options, I was just too quick. You know, I was like, oh, uh, you know mm-hmm. what, Cleopatra. And well, next time, I'll, I'll yeah. <laughs> and it's available on Max. Yeah. So that helped. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. As is next week's film, How the West Was Won. Another near three-hour epic <laughs> with kind of everybody in Hollywood in it. So, Not to be confused with the direct-to-video Olsen twin movie, How the West Was Fun. We're not discussing that movie. We're watching oh, How shit. the West Was Fun. Oh, shit. That's the one I watched already today. Oh, no. Well, okay. Well, we can discuss that, too. What if we totally zagged and just discussed the Olsen twins movie and then like <laughs> barely even mentioned How the West Was Fun? And we should do it straight-faced and be like, <laughs> yeah, I really thought that Mary Kate's award-winning work in this film was – and just do like a, an hour. I really thought – yeah. I really thought them winning the West was fun. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. The mythological implications of the mise-en-scene upon, you know. <laughs> and the fun of the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, How the Bus Was Won for next week. Um, get started, because it's a long one. It's kind of five parts. Five parts. So, uh. three directors <laughs> and everyone in Hollywood. <laughs> I'd like to thank TJ for the opportunity to watch all these long movies. I really appreciate you picking 1963, buddy. Well... I'll reveal now. I'm playing a long game where I'm slowly trying to convince you and Ken that the Oscars are dumb and that most of the films nominated in that win are bad. So this is me dragging you through hell to slowly, over the course of several years, get you to come to my side. Oh my god, you're you're evil. Well, I thank you for the Oscars. <laughs> that's a joke. Um, all right. Well, that's all. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you. I'm sorry, Rufio. I wasn't listening.